1: Columbia Network takes pleasure in presenting Orson Welles and the Mercury Theater on the Air in the second of a unique new summer series of nine dramatic productions. The first time in its history that radio has brought to the country an entire theatrical institution. Columbia is proud to welcome Orson Welles to its roster of stars and to give him the opportunity of bringing to the air those same qualities of vitality and imagination that have made him the most talked of theatrical director in America today. Good evening. This is Orson Welles speaking. If there's anything bloodthirstier than a werewolf, it's a pirate. The Mercury Theater is playing safe. Now, if vampires and their ilk leave you as uncannily cold as old Dracula himself, who was staked down firmly, and it is to be hoped permanently in his own family plot last week, then there are figures to prove that you are susceptible to buried treasure. We calculate that no decent law-abiding citizen is immune to pirates. There are cowboys and Indians, there are gangsters and G-men, but these delights are inconstant, like the short skirt. I don't care how young you are, nothing charms, nothing ingratiates, Nothing wins like a one-legged, double-barreled buccaneer with earrings, a handkerchief on his head, and a knife in his teeth. What could be more appropriate on the starboard rail of your four-masted brigantine? If you haven't a four-masted brigantine, you have Treasure Island. It's in your library because it's a great English classic, and this evening, because it's a great story, it's on your radio. That's what I mean by playing safe. Once there was a small boy who asked his stepfather, who had written a number of books, please to write something interesting. The stepfather, seeing his point, immediately contributed a serial to something repugnant called Young Folks, a periodical circulated among that section of the English nation known as Tiny Tots, who were very prevalent in the 80s. The name of the serial was The Sea Cook by Captain George North, and if the Tiny Tots didn't think it was interesting, they should have been boiled in oil. The story was begun, the stepfather says, on a chill September morning by the cheek of a brisk fire and the rain drumming on the window. The small boy himself helped a lot, even though Captain North got the credit, and so did a third and equally incurable small boy, the author's father. They drew a map first, the chart of an island showing very queer and wonderful attractions, Spyglass Shoulder, for instance, and Skeleton Island, and the North Cache with a bar silver, and then. On that chill September morning by that brisk fire of theirs, the three plotters buried their plunder. Doubloons and Louis D'Or, gold and silver and rich jewels and pieces of eight. That's why the story was finally called Treasure Island. It's foolish to guess who's tuned in on this broadcast, but if in some way, well, we were retelling the story, hoped devoutly that he, who the Samoans laid to rest in the hills of their own faraway Treasure Island and who is still known out there... Only as the great teller of tales would not wish tonight as he did so unaccountably at first to suppress the real name of Captain George North. The small boy, of course, should have been decorated. It's a better world because he asked for something interesting. But then he was lucky. There are millions and millions of small boys. But only one of us had Robert Louis Stevenson for a stepfather. <laughs> Treasure Island by Robert Louis Stevenson with Orson Welles as Long John Silver and as Jim Hawkins who tells the story. Treasure Island. Squire Trelawney, Dr. Livesey and the rest of the gentlemen having asked me to write down the whole particulars about Treasure Island from the beginning to the end, keeping nothing back but the bearings of the island, and that only because there is treasure not yet lifted. I take up my pen in the year of grace, 1783, and go back to that time, 19 years ago, when my father kept the Admiral Benbow in, and the brown old seaman with a saber cut first took up his lodging under our roof. I was 14, but I remember him as if it were yesterday. (coughs) Mother called to me from upstairs.
2: Yes, mother. There's a man coming up the road. Go out and see what he wants. He came plodding
1: to the inn door, his sea chest following behind him on a handbarrow. A tall, strong, heavy, nut-brown man, his tarry pigtail falling over the shoulders of his soiled blue coat, his hands ragged and scarred with black broken nails and the saber cut across one cheek, a dirty, livid white, singing that old sea song that he sang so often afterwards.
2: Oh, oh, Open up in there!
3: Now then, boy. Yes, sir.
2: What do you call this place?
3: The Admiral Benbow Inn, sir.
1: Admiral Benbow eh, Nice, lonely-looking, pleasant-situated grog shop. Folks don't come here much, do they, boy? Not much company?
3: No, sir. More's pity.
1: No? Well, then, it's the berth for me. I'm a plain man, rum and bacon, eggs, all I want. And that head up there for to watch ships off. Never mind, I have a mind to stay here a bit.
2: Here, you, matey. You are the wheelbarrow.
1: Bring up alongside. Help up my chest. You two boys, heavy. Yes, sir. Call me Captain Boy.
3: Captain. Yes, Captain.
1: Just one thing more. Yes, Captain. You ain't seen him, have you?
3: No, sir. Who do you mean?
1: Along the road, maybe. You might have seen him somewhere, as you can't tell. Let me know if you do, boy. A seafaring man. Yes, sir. With one leg.
2: Yes, sir. Captain! Yes, Captain. Bring me a noggin of rum, boy.
1: And so he came to live under our roof. We never knew his name. We called him the Captain. He was a very silent man by custom all day. He hung around the cove or upon the cliffs with a brass telescope staring out to sea. All evening he sat in a corner of the parlor next to the fire and drank rum and water, very strong. And every day when he came back from his stroll, he would ask the same question. Jim?
3: Yes, Captain? Any
1: seafaring men go by today along the road? No, Captain. And Jim. Yes, sir? You're a good boy, Jim. You wouldn't lie to me ever, would you, Jim?
3: No, sir.
1: You haven't seen him, have you, Jim? Jim, there's a silver folkney for you on the first of every month. If you'll keep your weather eye open for a seafaring man with one leg. Let me know the moment you see him, won't you, Jim?
2: A seafaring man with... Is...
1: Now that personage haunted my dreams. On stormy nights when the wind shook the four corners of the house and the surf roared along the cove and up the cliffs, I could see him in a thousand forms. Now the leg would be cut off at the knee, now at the hip. Now he was a monstrous kind of a creature who had never had but one leg and that in the middle of his body. Whether I open won't you, Jim, for a seafaring man with one
2: leg, a seafaring man with one leg. Months went
1: by. The captain's bad fare to ruin us. We kept on staying week after week. Month after month.
0: And never a penny of money, Jim. Not a penny as he paid us since the day he came here. And me, a poor widow woman. Mother, why don't you ask him for some? Well, I'll tell you the truth, Jim. I'm afraid to ask him. I'm afraid of the man. Now, if your father...
1: In all that time, none of us ever saw him open the great sea chest that was in his room. There were nights when he took a deal more rum and water than his head could carry. Often I heard the house shaking... And all the neighbors joining in for dear life.
2: Quiet of his ships! Quiet!
1: He would force them all to listen to his stories. Dreadful stories they were, about hanging and walking the plank and storms at sea and a dry tortugas and wild deeds and places on the Spanish main. By his own account, He must have lived his life among some of the wickedest men that God ever allowed upon the sea. The captain had been living with us almost a year when there occurred the first of the mysterious events that rid us at last of his presence. It was one January morning, very early, a pinching, frosty morning. The captain had risen earlier than usual and set down the beach with his telescope under his arm. My mother was upstairs and I was lying the breakfast table against the captain's return when the parlor door opened and a stranger stepped in. Sonny, come here, Sunny. Is this table for my mate Bill?
3: I don't know you, mate Bill. I'm laying this for a man who stays in the house. We call him the captain.
1: Well, my mate Bill would be called the captain like as not.
3: Now,
1: nah. We'll put it for argument, like that your captain's got a cut on one cheek. And we'll put it, if you like, that that cheek's the right one, eh? Well, God Save me. There he is now. There's my mate Bill. That's him with a spyglass under his arm. Bless his old heart, to be sure. You and me will just get back behind the door, sonny.
2: And we'll give Bill a little
1: surprise, we will bless his heart, I says
2: again. <laughs> Hello,
1: Bill. Come, Bill. You know's me. You knows an old shipmate, Bill Shivley. Black dog. Black dog as ever was. <laughs> uh, Bill, Bill, we've seen a sight of times, as two. So you run me down. Here I am, we'll speak up, what is it? That's you, Bill. You're in the right of it, Billy. I'll have a glass of rum from this dear child here, what I've took such a liking to. And we'll sit down, if you please, and talk square like old shipmates. Sit down, Bill. And you, sonny, get out.
2: Yes, sir. And none of your keels on me, do you hear?
1: For a while, I could hear nothing but a low gabbing. Suddenly, the voices began to grow higher.
2: No, no, no! And an end of it. If it comes to swinging, swing or say I. Ah!
1: I saw Black Dog streaming blood run off down the road. Presently, the captain returned alone Jim
2: Jim give me
1: give me some rum the Captain, are you hurt? I I must get away from here get away, that's what
2: I must get away from here what's happened, Jim? what's happened?
0: it's the Captain, Mother
2: the
0: Captain? oh, oh dear, dearie me what a disgrace I've been afraid of something like this ever since he came into the house with that old chest of his.
1: I got the rum and tried to put it down his throat, but his teeth were tightly shut and his jaws were as strong as iron. An hour later, our friend Dr. Livesey came.
3: Doctor, what shall we do? Where is he wounded, Doctor? Wounded? A fiddlestick,
1: end. No more wounded than you or I. The man's had a uh, uh, stroke. Where's Black Dog? Black Dog? There is no Black Dog except what you have on your own back. You've been drinking rum, man, and you've had a stroke. Now, listen to me. One glass of rum a day won't kill you. But if you take one, you'll take another and another. And then you'll die. Die and go to your own place like the man in the Bible. And the world will be rid of a very dirty scoundrel. Do you understand that? The name of rum for you is death. Death. <laughs> About noon the next day, I stopped at the captain's door with some medicine.
2: Who is it? It's me, Jim. Come in, Jim. Come in.
1: He was lying very much as we'd left him. Jim, you, you're the only one here that's worth anything. You know I've always been good to you. Never a month i have given you a silver fork for yourself. Now you see me, I, I'm pretty low and deserted by all. Jim, you'll bring me a... A noggin of rum, won't you, matey? But the
3: doctor... Doctors,
1: I mean... it's all
2: swabs!
1: Don't have a drain of rum, Jim. I'll have the horrors. I've seen some of them already. I've seen old flint in the corner there behind you. as plain as print. I've seen them. Jim, I'll give you a golden guinea for a noggin. When I brought it to him, he seized it greedily and know, drank no. it out. I, that's some
2: better, sure enough. Now, matey,
1: did that doctor say how wrong? I was to lie here in this old berth.
2: Why, a week at least. Oh, uh, thunder, a week! I can't do that. They'll have the black spot on me by then. The lovers is going about
1: getting the wind of me this blessed moment. The lovers couldn't keep what they got, and what a nail what's another's. It's. it's in me old sea chest, Jim. The thing they're after. They'll tip me the black spot, I know it. I was first mate, I was old Flint's first mate, and I'm the only one as knows the place he buried it. He gave it me at Savannah when he lay a-dying.
3: What's the black spot, Captain?
1: A summons from old Flint's crew. A summons. And them as gets it, Jim, is lucky when they're dead. went by, and then, about three o'clock of a bitter, foggy, frosty afternoon, I saw someone drawing slowly near along the road. He was plainly blind, for he tapped before him with a stick, and he wore a great green shade over his eyes and nose, and he was hunched as if with age or weakness, and wore a huge old tattered sea cloak with a hood.
2: My Christian friends, take pity on a poor, blind mariner as has lost the precious sight of his eyes in the gracious defense of his native country,
1: England. And God bless King George, where or in what part of his country
2: he may I be.
3: You are at the Admiral Benbow Inn, sailor. Uh, Black Hill Cove.
2: I hear a voice, a young voice, is here where I miss me deadlights. Will you give me your hand, my kind young friend, and lead me into the captain? I
1: held out my hand, and the horrible, soft-spoken, eyeless creature gripped it in a moment like a vice.
3: <gasps> now, boy, take me into the captain. Sir, upon my word, I dare not. You been...
1: heard me. Take me in straight. Oh. Will you take me into the captain? Yes, sir. Good. And when I'm in view. Say to him, he's a friend for you, Bill Bones. If you don't, I'll twist your arm right out of your
2: body. D.A.
3: Yes, sir.
1: Stash your bastard, damn you.
2: Now, forward March.
3: Here's a friend for you, Bill Bones. Now, Bill, sit where you are. Business is business.
1: Hold out your left hand, Bill. Boy, take his left hand by the wrist and bring it near to my right. Here's a little bit of paper for you, Bill Bones. <laughs> Now that's done, I'll be going. Goodbye, Bill.
2: Goodbye,
3: Jim. Yes, Captain. Time, at the Jim. Ten
2: o'clock.
1: Ten o'clock. Ten o'clock, six hours. We'll dagger them yet, Pew and Black Dog and Long John Silver.
3: The whole crew of them, we're. Will... Captain. 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 Captain.
1: The captain was dead. And there we were. My mother and I, a woman and a boy of fourteen, alone at night in the house. With the dead captain's body on the parlor floor. He
0: you know, this money he does. A whole year, never a penny from him. And me, a poor widow. But, Mother, if Black Dog comes back, or the blind oh, man... Black Dog's fiddle sticks. There's something in that old chest of his upstairs that's rightfully mine. And we'll have that chest open if we die for it. Mother. Close the blinds, Jim. We don't want anybody watching us from the outside. We have to get the key off. Oh, look, Mother.
1: Look. On the floor. Close to the dead man's hand, there was a little round of paper, blackened on one side. The black spot. I took it up and found You
3: have till ten tonight.
0: Four hours. Now, Jim, find that. I felt
1: in his pockets, one after another.
0: It's round his neck. he open his shirt.
1: There, sure enough, hanging on a bit of tarry string, we found the key. Then my mother got a candle in the bar. And holding each other's hands, we went upstairs to his room.
0: Give me the key, Jim. Now then... Nothing in here. Not a thing of value. Not a penny. Mother, well, look. There,
1: before us, Lay the last things in the chest. A bundle tied up in oilcloth looking like papers. And a canvas bag that gave forth at a touch, the jingle of gold.
0: You see, Jim, I knew we'd find it. But I'll show these rogues that I'm an honest woman. I'll have me do and not a farthing over. Here, here, Jim, hold this bag.
1: The coins were of all countries and sizes. Doubloons and Louis d'Or and guineas and pieces of eight.
3: Mother! What is it, Jim? Mother, listen. mother. Mother, take the hole and let's be gone. No, I'll
0: have to do, Jim, and no more.
3: But, mother, you heard him. That was the blind man. I know
0: what I'm doing. I know, right? But, mother, you don't know. Oh, dear. I'll take what I have. And I'll take this. These papers. Quick, mother, quick. Take my hand.
1: Next moment, we had opened the door and were in full retreat toward the village.
0: Look, Jim, over the hill. There they come. Run, mother, run. Oh, Jim. Jim, I'm going to faint. Oh, Jim, take the money and go on. Mother. Oh,
1: she had fainted. I managed somehow to drag her down the bank into the shadow of the ditch. A moment later, the house was surrounded. Hello.
2: Bill's dead! I you Bill's dead! Search him, you shirking lovers! And the rest of you locked and get the It
1: was a good thing my mother had fainted or she would have had to watch with me while our poor house was pulled apart and smashed. Whatever it was they were after, they did not find it.
2: Well, is it there? The
0: money's there!
3: What are
2: they after? The map, Mother. Prince, map. Prince, you. That's the signal. Tell him that. Oh, Lord, you sneaks. It's in the house. You know it is. Shiver my soul if I had my eyes. The signal, too. The signal. You dogs. You had your hand on hundreds, on thousands. Are you giving up now? You'd be as rich as kings if you can find us. You know it's there and you stand us. In. There wasn't one of you dead, by Bill, and I did it. A blind man, and i would to lose any chance for you. I'm to be a poor crawling beggar spongy for rum, when I might be rolling in a coach. If I had the pluck of a weevil in a sea biscuit among the <laughs> leaves. That's the last thing, though. up! Jack! Black Dog! Johnny! Jack! You won't leave old Pew, mate! Not old Pew! Johnny! Black Dog! Don't leave old Pew! Not old Pew, not old me
1: When they picked him up where he lay on the road on his side, you were stone dead. The horsemen, as it turned out, were revenue officers with some news of a strange logger in Kitt's Hole, and it set forth that night in our direction. They took my mother to a neighbor's house.
3: So, Hawkins, they got the money, you say? Well, what fortune were they after? More money, I suppose. No, Sergeant, not money, I think. In fact, sir, I believe I have the thing in my breast pocket. And to tell you the truth, I should like to put it in safety.
1: To be sure, boy, quite right. Uh, I'll take it.
3: I thought perhaps Dr. Libby...
1: Yes, Dr. Livesey. perfectly right, perfectly right. A gentleman and a magistrate. Dogger! Yes, sir.
3: You have a good
2: horse. Take this light up behind you! Yes, sir.
1: We rode hard all the way till we came to Dr. Libby's
2: door. Dr. Lizzie, the doctor's stopping tonight at the squire's. Squire's?
0: There we go,
2: boys!
1: We'd arrived at the squire's. He wrote to meet us very stately and condescending.
2: Come in, gentlemen.
1: Good evening, Squire. <laughs> good evening, Dr. Livesey. Good evening to you, Jim. Uh, what good wind brings you here? Then the officer stood up straight and stiff and told his story. Sergeant, you're a very noble fellow. This lad Hawkins is a tramp, I Hawkins, ring that bell. Sergeant must have the mail. And so, Jim, you have the thing that they were after, have you? Here it is, sir. Oh, you've heard of this Captain Flint, I suppose, Squire. Heard of him?
2: Heard of him, you say? He was the bloodthirstiest
1: buccaneer that sailed. Blackbeard was a child a Flint. The Spaniards were so prodigiously afraid of him that I tell oh, you, sir, I was sometimes proud he was an Englishman. The to me is, had he money? Money?
2: One of those villains after, but money.
1: That we should soon know. What I want to know is this. Suppose I have here in my pocket some clue to where Flint buried his treasure. We'll let treasure amount to much. Amount, sir? It will amount to this. If we have the clue you talk about, I fit out a ship in Bristol Dock and take you and Hawkins here along, and I'll have that treasure if I search a year. Very well. Now, if Jim is agreeable, we'll open the package. A map of an island with latitude and longitude. And writing. Tall trees, spyglass shoulder bearing a point to the north of northeast. Skeleton Island, southeast by east, ten feet. The bar of silver is in the north... can. you'll give up this wicked practice at once. Tomorrow, I start for briscoe. In three weeks' time, three weeks, two weeks, ten days, we'll have the best ship, sir, and the choicest crew in England. Hawkins shall come as cabin boy. You, live the air ship's doctor. I am admiral. I'll go with you, Squire. So will Jim. And there'll be a credit to the undertaking. There's only one man I'm afraid of.
2: Who's that? Name the wrong, sir.
1: You, sir. For you cannot hold your tongue. <laughs> In a few moments, we shall be bound for Treasure Island with Dr. Lindsay, Squire Trelawney, and Jim Hawkins. We pause now for station identification. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. W-A-B-C, New York. Tonight, the Columbia Network is bringing you Orson Welles and the Mercury Theater on the air in Robert Louis Stevenson's Treasure Island. As Jim Hawkins was telling us, we are eager to leave the Benbow Inn behind and set out for the docks in Bristol. It was longer than the squire imagined ere we were ready for the sea. Weeks passed on then. One fine day there came a letter from the squire, from Bristol. Here lives it. The ship is more and fitted. Lies at anchor ready for sea. It was the crew that delayed me, till the most remarkable stroke of fortune brought me the very man that I required. I was standing on the dock, when by the merest accident I fell in talk with him. He had hobbled down there that morning with a parrot on his shoulder, to get a smell of salt, he said. Out of pure pity, I engaged him on the spot to be ship's cook. Long John Silver, he is called, and has lost an egg. Well, sir, I thought I'd only found a cook, but it was a crew I'd discovered. Between Silver and myself, we got together in a few days, a company of the
2: stuffiest old salt imaginable. I declare we could fight the frigates. See what home, Hang the treasure. It's the glory of the sea that
1: is turned I it. On the 16th of April, the schooner Hispaniola set sail from Bristol Harbor. It was more than 19 years ago, but I can remember it. As if it were yesterday. Me
3: and my new blue cabin boys. Club.
1: Nineteen years ago.
3: Leaning over the rail, waving goodbye to my mother. And doing my best not to cry. For at the last moment, it sort of hurt to leave her. And it was the first time I had been away from home. Then, a little before noon, Captain Smollett gave an order. The boatswain sounded his pipe. And the crew began to man the cap-chain bar. Soon, the anchor was short up. Soon, it was hanging dripping at the bar's. Soon the sail began to draw, and the land and shipping to slip by on either side. The Hispaniola had begun her voyage to the Isle of Treasure. On the second day out, I made the acquaintance of our one-legged ship's cook, Long John Silver. Hey
2: there, boy. Come in. Come on in to Long John galley.
3: To tell you the truth, At the very first mention of Long John Silver in the Squire's letter, I had taken a fear in my mind that this might be the very one-legged sailor that I had watched for all those months at the Benbow Inn. But one look at him was enough. I had seen Captain Bones and Black Dog and Blind Pew, and I knew what a buccaneer looked like, very different from this clean and pleasant-looking sea cook. His left leg was cut off close to the hip, and under the left shoulder he carried a crutch, which he managed wonderfully. ...hopping about on it like a bird. Oh, of vase, of vase, of Are you Mr. Silver, sir? Yes,
1: me lad, such is my name to be sure.
3: And you're Hawkins, eh?
1: Nobody more welcome than yourself, me lad, in old John's galley. Hey, sit down, hear the news. Your first trip to see Hawkins? Yes, sir. Well, 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 there's a lot of things you're going to learn for this your voyage is over. What do you think, Hawkins? And if there's
3: anything you want to know, Hawkins...
1: You just come to old John Silver and ask him, see? He'll tell you.
3: His galley was as clean as a new pin. The dishes hanging up burnished, and his parrot in a cage in one corner. Yes, yeah, Captain
1: Flint. I call my parrot Captain Flint. Yeah, the parrot, that's the famous buccaneer.
3: Yes, yeah, Captain Flint,
1: predicting success our voyage. Wasn't you, Captain? <laughs> <laughs> ah,
2: yeah,
1: she's a powerful old bird, Captain Flint. Two hundred years old if she's a day, and if anybody's seen more wickedness, it must be the devil himself. She sailed with England. The great captaining than the pirate, on the old walrus, the flint old ship. But I've seen her muck with a red blood and fit to sink with gold. He's been at Madagascar and at Malibar, and Suriname and Providence and Portobello. To look at her, you'd think she was a baby, Hawkins, but. You smell powder, haven't you, Captain? Uh,
2: stand by to go by. And
1: blood, eh, Captain? Butter <laughs> all
2: hands. Oh. And
1: pieces of eight, eh, Captain? Pieces of eight. Pieces
2: of eight. Pieces of eight. Pieces of eight. Pieces of
3: eight. At the end of the third week, we left Madeira behind us. The ship proved to be a good ship. The crew seemed to be capable seamen. There was only one man aboard who was not satisfied. And that was the ship's master, Captain Smollett.
1: I'll speak plain. I don't like it. I don't like the crews. I don't like the men. I don't like me officers. That's short and sweet.
3: But nobody paid much attention to him. Every man on board seemed well content. Double grog was served on the least excuse. There was duff on odd days. And always a barrel of apples standing broached in the waist. For anyone to help himself that had a fancy. Never
1: knew good come of it yet. Oil folks' lands make devils. That's my belief. We're not home again yet.
3: But good did come of that apple barrel. It was about the last day of our outward voyage. Sometime that night, or at latest before noon of the morrow, we should sight the Treasure Island. Just after sundown, when all my work was over, I thought I should like an apple. I ran on deck. The watch was all, wo- all forward looking out for the island. I got into the apple barrel. Suddenly I heard voices on deck.
1: Look here, barbecue. How long are we going to stand off and on like a blessed bumboat? Why son, did I want to go into that cabin I do? I want their pickles and wine and their How long? By the power of the last moment I can manage, and that's how long. How many tall ships think you have I seen laid aboard? And how many brisk lads drying in the sun at execution dock? And all for this same hurry, and hurry, and hurry.
2: He's a
1: first rate seaman, Captain Smollett. of the blessed ship for us. we are all seamen aboard here, I All folks of lands, you mean? I know the sort you are. You're never happy till you're drunk. It's your love, I don't know what his treasure is, do I? No more to use as you. And here's this squire and doctor with a map and such. Well. And I mean, this squire and doctor shall find the treasure for us and help us to get it aboard by the powers. After that. After that. What do we do with them, John Silver? After that. Well, what would you think we do with them? Pull them ashore like maroons? Or cut them down like that much pork? Duty is duty, mate. Wait. Wait is what I says. When the time comes, why? Let a rip
2: What's that? What's that?
3: your island. Ten minutes later, we were gathered in the cabin. The squire, Dr. Livesey, the captain, and myself.
2: Now, Hawkins, you have something to say. Speak up.
3: I did as I was bid. I told them the whole story of Silver's conversation. When that was done, all three, one after another, and each with a bow, drank my good health. Then the squire rose.
1: Captain Smollett, you were right and I was wrong. I own myself an ass. I await your orders, sir? Silver is a remarkable man. Yes, the way I see it. We must go on because we can't turn back. And what I propose is that we don't wait for them to surprise us, but that we come to blows at our own time and when they least expect it. There must be some faithful hands left. Well, we must find out who they are. Jim Shear can help us more than anyone. The men are not shy with him, and Jim is a noticing lad.
2: Hawkins, I
3: put prodigious faith in you. In the meantime, talk as we please. there were only seven out of 26 on whom we knew we could rely. And of these seven, I was a boy, so that the grown men on our side were six to their 19. Next morning, there was not a breath of air moving, nor a sound, but that of the surf booming half a mile away along the beaches. A peculiar stagnant smell hung over the anchorage. The heat was sweltering and the men grumbled fiercely over their work. Mutiny, the it was plain, hung over us like a thundercloud. Around noon, Captain Smollett came up on deck. Hey, right. We're not and all
1: try not a sort. Quick turn
2: ashore let nobody. They can take the gig. As many as please, they go ashore for the afternoon. Hey! Far away! Hey, hey, wait a minute. Silver
3: suspected a, Wait a bit, man. He hopped around the deck on his oh, one a bit leg. Soon the party was organized. Six fellows were to stay on board, and thirteen, including Silver, began to embark. Suddenly, I had a mad notion to go ashore too. In a jiffy, I had slipped over the side and curled up in the foresheets of the nearest boat. No one took notice of me. The crews raced for the beach. No sooner had we touched shore than I leaped out and plunged into the nearest thicket. Behind me I could hear John Silver's voice.
2: Hey, Jim! Jim, my boy! Hey, Jim! 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 Jim!
3: John Silver was quick at his work. Two faithful members of the crew were murdered on the island that afternoon. Only an hour after we landed... I saw with my own eyes from where I lay hidden among the trees. Will
1: you tell me you let yourself be led away with that kind of a message? of as Soon sure as God sees me I would sooner lose my hand than turn to give me duty. Make it's because I think gold dust of you, gold dust. John Silver, you're made of mine no more. If I die like a dog I'll die in me duty. You've killed Alan, have you? Kill me
2: too if you can. But I defy
3: you. He started to walk away.
2: Try this then.
3: Long John whipped the crutch out of his armpit and sent it hurtling through the air. <laughs> Ah! It struck him in the back and killed him. Then, Silver brought out a whistle. I didn't wait. I ran. I ran as I never ran before.
2: Daddy <laughs>
3: I looked up the side of a hill. <laughs> Far above me I saw something leap behind the trunk of a tree. It seemed dark and shaggy. I turned and began to run. Suddenly a thing appeared in front of me, and running forward threw itself on its knees before me and held out its clasped hands and suffered. Something- oh! <laughs>
2: How are you? With Christian these three years. Three years? Uh-huh.
3: Well, you shipwrecked. oh. So, mate, maroon.
2: Three years. Lived on goats
1: since then and berries and oysters. Made my heart a sore for Christian diet. You mightn't happen to have a piece of cheese about you now. No? Well, many a night I've dreamed of cheese, toasted mostly, and woke up again, and here I was. What'd you call yourself, mate? Jim. Jim? Jim, Jim. Well, now, Jim, you wouldn't think. You wouldn't think I was rich to look at me, would you now? I
3: know not in particular.
1: Oh, well, but I am, Jim. I'm rich, rich, powerful
2: rich. Oh, Jim, you'll bless your stars, you will. You was the first that found me.
3: Suddenly his eye fell on the Hispaniola lying far below it. Between it and the land was the jelly boat with five men moving toward shore. But I could not tell if they were our men or the mutineers. Jim, tell me true. That ain't Flint's ship. It's not Flint's ship, and Flint is dead. There are some of Flint's hands aboard. Worse luck for the rest of us. Not a man with one leg. Silver? (laughs) Woo! If you were sent for long
1: job, (laughs) I'm as good as pork. I know it. I was in Flint's ship with John Silver when old Flint buried the treasure. He and six along, six strong seamen. They was ashore nigh on a week then one day here comes Fint by himself in a little boat, and the six all dead, dead and buried along with the treasure. How he done it, not a man of us could make out. I told him the
3: purpose of our voyage, and the predicament in which we now found ourselves. Oh,
1: that Long John, he's a un and you're all in a clove hitch, ain't you? Well, you just put your trust in Ben Gunn. Ben Gunn's the man to help you. You tell that to your squire, Jim. Ben Gunn's the man. That's what you say. And Ben Gunn says you has
3: ideas of his own. Ah! Look at that. Far below us, we saw a Union Jack fluttering in the air above the woods. There's your friend. Sure enough. More likely, it's mutineers. No, mate. silver fly the Jolly Roger. That's your friend. Sure enough, ashore in the old stockade, made years and years ago by Flint. Ah! What's that? That's the ship's cannon. They're shooting at the stockade. Come on. Wait
2: a minute, Jim. Wait. Ben Gunn is alive. Rum wouldn't bring me down there. But remember, Jim. Ben Gunn's the man to help you. And when Ben Gunn is wanted, you know where to find him. Just where you found him today. Started to run towards the flag. Hey, Jim. Jim. Yes, sir. (laughs) Yeah. You won't forget that piece of cheese, will you, mate?
3: less than a mile from the stockade There was heavy running through the woods. The shooting was getting louder. Suddenly before me I saw a clearing. a smoke of muskets fired nearby.
2: Hey there! Go, sir. Hey! Don't shoot! It's me! Who's me? Me! Jim Hawkins! It, it's, it's... It's Jim! Hey. Hey.
3: A moment later I was over the stockade among my friends and soon afterwards the firing ceased mutineers were saving their powder. The stockade was a good place, with a paling six feet high all around it. We could have held it against the regiment. And here Captain Smollett decided to stay and await our enemy's next move. I told Dr. Livesey and the squire about Ben Gunn. Hey!
2: truce! Drag it truce! Who's
1: that? It's Silver. Even those men send to them this is a trick.
2: Who goes? Then do we fire? Flag and truce!
1: Doctors, watch on the lookout. Dr. Livesey, take the north side if you please. Jim, the east. Gray, west. Watch below, all hands to load muskets. Lively, men, and careful.
2: What do you want with your flag troops? truce? Captain Silver, sir! Come to my terms. Captain Silver! Why, you black hearted scoundrel! Doctor!
1: Silence. If you wish to talk to me, you can come, and that's all. It is any stretch you on your side, and the Lord help you. That's enough, Captain. The word from you's enough. I know a gentleman, and you may later to that. You'd better sit down. You uh, ain't a going to let me inside,
2: Captain. It's
1: a main cold morning to be sure, sir. To sit outside tide upon the sand. Ah, oh, there's Jim on the top of the morning, Jim. Well, then, you're all together like a happy family in a man is speaking. If you've anything to say, my man, better say it. Right, you were, Captain. Smollett. duty is duty, to be sure. Well, here it is. We want that treasure. We'll have it. That's our point. You just soon save your lives, I reckon, and... That's yours. You have a chart, haven't you? That says maybe. Oh, well, you have. I know that. What I mean is... We want your chart. You give us the chart to get the treasure by... And I'll give you my affidavit upon my word of honor to clap you somewhere cypher sure. Is that all you have to say? Every last word by thunder refuse that, and you've seen the last of me but musket ball. Very good. Now you'll hear me. If you'll come up one by one, unarmed, I'll engage to clap you all in irons and take you home to a fair trial in England. If you won't, as my name's Alexander Smollett, I've thrown Miss Sovereign's colors, and I'll see you all to Davy Jones. You can't find the treasure. You can't sail the ship, and you can't fight us. I stand here and tell you so, and at the last good word you'll get from me
2: now, prove me that laugh <laughs> laugh
1: by thunder, laugh for an hour out
2: you laugh on the other side,
1: and then the die'll be the lucky one. <laughs>
3: Nothing remained of the attacking party but the five who had fallen. Four on the inside and one on the outside of the palisade. The mutineers did not come back that night. They had got their rations, as the captain put it. The next day was stifling hot. After dinner, Dr. Livesey sent for me. Uh, Jim, was it cheese you said Ben Gunn had a
1: fancy for? Yes, sir, cheese. Well, Jim, uh, just see the good that comes of being dainty in your food. You've seen my snuffbox, haven't you? And you never saw me take snuff. The reason being that in my snuff box I carry a piece of Parmesan cheese. A cheese made in Italy. Very nutritious. Well, that's for Ben Gunn.
3: Oh, goodbye, my lad. Then he took up his hat and pistols, girt on his cutlass, put the chart in his pocket, and set off briskly through the trees. That afternoon, the blockhouse being stifling hot, and the little patch of sand inside the palisade ablaze with midday sun so much blood about me and so many poor dead bodies lying around, a new idea came into my head. This was to swim out under cover of the night, cut the Hispaniola adrift, and let her go ashore where she fancied. The mutineers, after their repulse of the morning, had nothing nearer their hearts than to up anchor and away to sea. This, I thought, would be a fine thing to prevent. It was evening when I reached the east coast of the island. I could see the Hispaniola lying at anchor offshore. And there was the Jolly Roger, the black flag of piracy, flying from her peak. As the last rays of daylight dwindled and disappeared, absolute darkness settled down on Treasure Island. The next night I was back on land. I was proud of myself, and with good reason. I had grounded the Hispaniola, Beached her up tidily in the north inlet with no harm done, safe from the mutineers. I had no trouble finding the stockade. Coming in from the shore, keeping close in shadow where the darkness was thickest, I crept into the blockhouse. I could see nothing. The doctor and the squire must have worried about me. I should lie down in my own place, I thought, and enjoy their faces when they found me in the morning. I felt for a place to lie down.
2: Pieces of ace! Pieces of ace! Pieces of ace! Now go, Bring your torch,
1: Dick. Well. Well, shiver my timbers. Jim Hawkins. Dropped in like, eh? Quite a pleasant surprise for poor old John. I've always liked you. I have Jim for a lad of spirit. I picked him my own self when I was young and handsome. Always wanted you to join my camp and take your share and die a gentleman. Now, my cock, you've got to. You can't go back to your own lot. Where are they? Now, where do you think, my son?
3: Have you killed them? What do you think? Well, I'm not such a fool, but I know pretty well what I have to look for. But there's a thing or two I have to tell you. And the first is this. Here you are in a bad way. Ship lost, treasure lost, men lost. And if you want to know who did it, it was I. I, I was in the apple barrel the night we sighted land. And I heard you, John. And you, Dick Johnson. And Hans, who is now at the bottom of the sea. ...and told every word you said before the hour was out. And as for the schooner, it was I who cut her cable. And it was I who brought her where you'll never see her more, not one of you. I no more fear you than I fear a fly. I'll put one to that in here, and go, you
2: sleeping son of a... Come on, sir!
1: Who are you, Tom Morgan? Maybe you thought you was captains here, perhaps...
2: I'm right, kill the boy.
1: <laughs> Did any of you gentlemen want to have it out with me? Him that wants it, you'll get it. You won't fight him by thunder, you'll obey. You may lie to it. I like that boy now. Never seen a better boy than that. He's more a man than any pararathe in this here house. What I see is this let me see him that'll lay a hand on him. That's what I see. And you may lie to it. Ain't have a lot to say. Pipe up and let me hear it a too. Yeah? What? We've we got something for you, Jordan. Step up, I won't bite you. Hand it over, Lubber. The black spot. I thought so. What's on it? Deposed. Deposed, that's it, it? Very pretty road, to be sure. Like print, I swear. But it ain't one bit prettier rote than this. And what does it look like, lads? A chart, that's what it is. A chart! A chart of this island, old French chart. Now, nah. what do you say to that?
2: Yes, that's French, sure enough, that's it. show uh, and a clovage to it. Oui, John, ever. Silver's the man. Silver. John Silver. Silver. Silver, don't get me late. Barbecue for forever. Barbecue for cancer. the cat
3: That was the end of the night's business. Only much later, I woke up suddenly and felt someone beside me. Jim. Jim, my boy. Yes, Long John?
1: I saved your life here tonight, Jim. Now, you and me stick close, Jim. Back to back, like in case of trouble. And talking to trouble, Jim, why did those friends of yours leave that chart behind when they cleared out of here? They did, though. I, I came in here this morning and found the place empty and the chart lying there on the table where I couldn't miss it. And there's something under that.
0: Something under that. Good or bad. <laughs>
3: Next morning, we set out after the treasure.
1: Tall trees, by glass shoulder, bearing a point to the north and northeast. Skeleton Island, east, southeast, and by east, ten east. Hey, over there! Come
3: quick! At the foot of a pine, half covered with green creeper, a human skeleton lay on the ground. A skeleton! Oh, my God! It lay perfectly straight, the feet pointing in one direction, the hands raised above its head like a diver's pointing directly in the opposite.
1: It ain't natural. It ain't natural, but you know, lads, I have a notion in my old numbskull. Now, here's the compass. There's the tip-top point of Skeleton Island sticking out like a tooth. Just take a bearing, will you, along the line of them bones? East, south-east, and by... I thought so. There's a pointer. Right up there's our line for the pole star and the Jolly Dollars. This is one of French jokes, and no mistake, him and these six was the here alone he killed him every man and this one yawed up here and laid down by the compass yes six they were and six we are and bones is what they are now oh, i saw him dead old flint Very he with penny pieces on his eyes yes sure enough he's dead but if ever spirit it walks it'll be flints he had heart, but he died bad to flint oh that he did Eh, uh, may not it were. And the windy
2: was open, and I hear that old song of his coming out clear as hell, and the
0: death oars on man already.
2: Bishop.
1: Smell it? Well, maybe. You know, you know whose voice that was? It was like somebody else's. It was like a.
2: (laughs) By the powers! Ben Gunn! Aye? Aye. Aye. So it were. Ben Gunn, it were. Why, nobody minds Ben Gunn! dead all alive, lives everybody's dead. <laughs>
1: glass shoulder bearing a point to the north of East Kellyton Island south east and by east ten feet hey mate
3: here's a tall trees the first of the tall trees was reached and by bearing proved the raw one so did the second. So the third.
2: Here it is! Aye, Oh, God! Very Here it is!
3: Before us was a great excavation. In this was the shaft of a pick broken in two, and the boards of several packing cases strewn around. All branded with the name Wallace, the name of Flint's ship. The treasure had been found and rifled. The 700,000 pounds were gone. Ah! And saw above us on the edge of the pit Ben Gunn, Dr. Lizzie, Gray, and Esquire, all with muskets. The doctor's plan had worked, the pirates had fallen into his trap. (laughs)
2: Dead men, sir. Hang
1: about your neck like snowstorm.
2: Thank you kindly, sir. I dare you to thank me. It's a gross dereliction of my duty. Stand back!
3: It took us three days to move the treasure from Ben Gunn's cave on board ship. On the 8th day of December, the Hispaniola reached Bristol. Five men only of those who had sailed returned with her.
1: Well... That was 19 years ago. All of us had an ample share of the treasure and used it wisely or foolishly according to our natures. Captain Smollett had now retired from the sea. As for Ben Gunn, he got a thousand pounds, which he spent or lost in 19 days, for he was back begging on the 20th. Silver vanished on the voyage one night off the coast of Mexico, and we heard no more of him. The bar, Silver, and the arms still lie for all I know where Flint buried them. And certainly they shall lie there for all of me. Oxen and wain ropes would not bring me back again to that accursed island. And the worst dreams that ever I have are when I hear the surf booming about its coast to start upright in bed, with the sharp voice of Captain Flint still ringing in my ears.
2: Ah, oh, pieces of eight! 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 been listening
1: to Treasure Island, starring Orson Welles as Long John Silver in his own radio version of Stevenson's Great Adventure Story. This is the second in a series of nine special broadcasts presented by the Mercury Theater. And here is Orson Welles himself, writer, director, and star of these programs, to tell you about next week's production. Orson Welles. First of all, I'd like you to meet Jim Hawkins, Jr., our leading man is 14 years old. Last season, he made a really... Startling contribution to the stage history of Shakespeare's plays. This was during the course of some experiments with the Mercury Theater sprinkler system. As a consequence of what must certainly have been extensive research in that field, he caused it to rain, actually to rain, and copiously to rain, where in more than 300 years it has never rained in Julius Caesar before. It rained on Brutus, it rained all over Brutus in the forum. I was Brutus, and I ought to know. Now, as dramatic criticism, I found this telling and even final. There's a surprise item in the funeral scene. I can assure you that the unexpected appearance on the stage of so many gallons of real water created in us all, an impression that was almost overwhelming. Our popular leading man says that he did it all with a match. I don't dare think what he'll do. He's old enough to run for president, but meanwhile, no matter what happens to the plumbing, he can always work for the Mercury, as you've probably discovered he's something more than a very gifted performer, and as I told you, he's something less than 15. His name shall not be withheld. I refer to that... Fine old actor Arthur Anderson Mr. Anderson is not new to the microphone nor the mercury He was prominent in Shoemaker's Holiday And in Julius Caesar as Brutus's Boy Jeeves, The sleepy-eyed, silver-throated Lucius in Brass Buttons He was at least unforgettable As to our celebrated Mark Antony, George Colouris Who was always somehow cleverly escaped Rainmaker Anderson He played Captain Smollett tonight Eustace Wyatt, late housebreaker of Heartbreak House Was the squire Ray Collins is responsible for Ben Gunn, among other things and that was Alfred Shirley as Blind Pew. Then you heard Stephen Fox and Agnes. Guess what? She played Moorhead and a Mercury Roundup, William Allen and Richard Wilson inclusive. Jim Hawkins, Sr. will bear no comment. Next week, we offer you the ominous and authentic click of the world's most famous knitting needles, Madame Lafarge's needles and Madame herself, Dr. Manette, Sidney Carton, And the entire French Revolution, same time, same station. It is a far, far better thing that I do than I've ever done. Charles Dickens, that is correct. That is absolutely correct. Charles Dickens' Tale of Two Cities. There is at this moment a disturbance in the sub-control room, and if it isn't a tumbrel, it's Arthur Anderson. It's a good thing the program's over. Good night, everybody. Thanks. Please write me the stories you'd like to hear. And goodbye till next week. (laughs) 9 o'clock Eastern Daylight Saving Time next Monday night for the Mercury Theater on the Air, with A Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens. On tonight's production, Bernard Herman composed the original music and conducted, and Davidson Taylor supervised for the Columbia Network. Dan Seymour speaking. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System.